0: week, I was away, so big shout out to Kevin. Uh, and I've, if I have not had the pleasure to meet you yet, uh, my name is Adrian Pina and I have the opportunity to serve here at uh, Firewall as the interim pastor. We are so glad that you are here today and have chosen to worship with us. And those of you who are online, we are so grateful that you are here. Before we get back into the sermon series in the book of Ephesians this week, I want to make just a quick announcement. On October the 16th we are going to host a prayer team meeting inside the prayer room at 10 o'clock so at 10 o'clock if you are interested what I mean by prayer team is we are going to start incorporating prayer into every single service so we're going to have a team of people if you are if that's your ministry and you just want to be able to serve to pray for some folks to hopefully be able to lead some folks to Christ to be able to pray through with people as they're going through crisis whatever the case may be uh, I believe that prayer is not something that should just be done from the platform but it's something Something that should be incorporated into every aspect of our worship together, and so. If you want to participate, there's no sign-up meeting or anything like that, just please meet me in the prayer room October the 16th at 10 o'clock and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So really excited about that. All right, who's excited about jumping back into the book of Ephesians? All right, so we are going to continue our track in the book of Ephesians. So if you want to open up your Bibles, your electronic device, uh, your Kindle, whatever it may be, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 7 today. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And before we get into that, let me go ahead and set the groundwork where, where we've been, okay? So remember the book of Ephesians is divided nicely into two different sections. You basically have section one, which is chapters one through three, which really Paul's unpacking doctrine. He's, un- he's unpacking some theological concepts and teaching. Chapter one starts with him talking about all of these spiritual benefits that we have received in Christ. And so he names like six of them that we talked about, all of these spiritual blessings, all of the richness of heaven, this heaven inheritance we have in the saints of being part of the body of Christ. Chapter 2. He moves into the beginning part of chapter 2 is what like I like to call the BC days. He reminds the church at Ephesus what their life was like when they were separated from Christ. So he talks about how we were under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air, we were dead in our trespass and in sin, all this stuff that's not very good. But then we get verse 4 which is the clincher and the changing verse which is the two most grace-filled words in all of scripture, but God. So but God, God intervenes then into the mix and brings salvation to his people and under does all of this work that sin basically has done in our lives and then we are saved by grace through faith Ephesians 2 8 & 9 after he talks about that, the end of chapter 2, then Paul talks about this hostility. The, uh, the church at Ephesus was a combination of both Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles being every other group that wasn't ethnic Jews. And so these groups were at hostility with each other, but yet Christ through his sacrifice broke down the dividing wall, brings these two groups together into something we call the church. And now this is one body that is functioning together. Beautiful expression of what it means to be the people of God. And then chapter 3, we looked at a prayer that Paul prayed over the the church uh, in Ephesus. The beginning part talks about the mystery, the mystery that the Gentiles have now been brought in, but the end of it talks about this prayer that he prays over the people. And he prays for them that they would know the power of God, that they would know the presence of his love, and all these beautiful things that he prays for the church. So two weeks ago, makes the transition shift in the book where we start getting into the application section. Paul brings us back to the concept of unity and in chapter 4 at the very beginning, all he's talking about is this oneness that we experience in the body of Christ. We may look different, but we're all under the banner of Jesus that Jesus has brought us together. Let me remind us and frame us back if we look back at verse 4. Considering verse 4, remember it says this, that there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Beautiful passage of scripture right there. And we saw why two weeks ago that Christian unity is worth fighting for. That was our one true statement to walk away with, is that Christian unity is worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for because we are this beautiful body that God has brought together under the banner of Jesus, and there is one God, one faith, one baptism that we preserve, that we we fight to protect because it's a beautiful thing. So today, it's kind of an outworking of a couple weeks ago because now Paul's going to talk about, now that this unified body, this church, is together, well then what are they to do and how do they do it? How are they equipped to do the work that God wants them to do? So I call this message the work of ministry. So we're going to talk a little bit about ministry today. And uh, for those of you who are theological nerds like I am, we are going to nerd out on a few verses that are very, very important and we're going to talk about some very specific theology that we're going to camp out, especially in verses 11 and 12 for a little bit, but please trek with me, okay? So. When you started, how many of y'all ever started a new job, right? You ever start a new job, you know, you got that first day angst when you start a new job and you're wondering how these things are going to go, and then hopefully if your job is acclimated and the company that you are going into has a training process, then ideally you get started with some level of orientation. So orientation to the company and some training to help equip you to do the job that you've been hired to do. So perhaps in orientation, they may tell you things like the history of the company and perhaps talk about company values, orient you to certain policies, HIPAA rules and sexual harassment policies and all this other good stuff, right, you know, all these different things to be able to talk about different policies that frame the company, etc. And then you go on to training, right, so then you go on to training and perhaps they get somebody to come alongside of you, a trainer or maybe you're part of a class where there's a trainer, and this person comes alongside of you who is skilled at what you need to do, what you're about to do, and essentially shows you the way. This person equips you with the skills you need to do the job. Now the church functions much in the same way. Now, all illustrations eventually sometimes fall show up a truck with me here. I do believe that this actually really works. So the church functions much in the same way, the orientation, so to speak, to the church is when we become and we believe in Jesus, then we become part of the church. We are then oriented to this thing called the Christian life. We then start this walk of faith, this whole whole entire thing. So when we believe and place our faith in Jesus, we become part of the local church. And so then we are to orient itself in the way in which it works. At a local church, there are values that come from a handbook. Just like at a job, if you have a certain handbook, a policy handbook, well guess what, we have a policy handbook, it's called the scriptures, it's called the Bible. So we have a handbook, and what do we do every Sunday? We open the handbook, and we start looking at the handbook, and we start working through and dissecting the scriptures. Just like at a company, we have a mission that drives us forward. We have policies. I think of policies like theological boundaries. We have things that keep us on the field, like we talked about a few weeks ago, okay? That keep us connected. And what does God do? God sends gifted people to come alongside people to equip them so that they can do their job. Okay? Because guess what? Being part of the church is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. The Christian life is an active thing. Faith is active. Faith has feet. Okay? Faith is something we do. So someone comes alongside of us that knows how to do their job, so to speak, to help us to do our job, which is to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Did you know that that is your job description as a believer? It's not the job description of the pastor only or of the person who's on church staff. That is the job description of every believer, to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here's my one truth for you today, is that Christ equips His church for His work. Christ equips His church for His work. So we're going to talk a little bit about this, about how Christ is going to make it where all the ingredients are necessary for the church to be able to do its work because He equips His church for His work. So this morning we're going to see three things about ministry. Now when you hear the word ministry, the word I want you to hear if you want a simple more, you know, synonym of the word, I want you to hear the word service. That's actually what the word means. So we're going to talk about when you hear the word ministry, because that's just the way that it's presented, we're going to use that word, but I want you to think of the word service, okay? So when we use that today. So the very first thing I want you to see in this passage, starting in verse 7, is that we are gifted for ministry. We are gifted for service, we are gifted for ministry. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Look at verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended unto high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, verses 1 to 6, as we already alluded to, talked about the church's unity as one body, but now Paul switches the focus to individual members of that body and shows how there's diversity even within that body. Verse 8 is actually a scriptural reference. If you have a, um, if you have a Bible that has uh, different annotation markers, this is actually a paraphrase of Psalm 68, 18, verse 8, okay? Now, here Paul is using it to speak of Christ like a military victor who has the right to give gifts to those that he has conquered. So if Christ has the right to give gifts, then he is giving those as an expression of grace, Okay? When he gives those gifts, it's something that he gives. He's giving them not because they deserved, he's giving them out of his abundance. Okay? The Apostle Paul, through his teaching, is the one where we get the, the framing of the idea of spiritual gifts alluded to here, but also if you want to make a mark, Romans chapter 12 verses 3 through 8 and 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. So Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8, which we aren't going to read these passages for sake of time. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 are the big, are uh, Paul's expression, Paul gives us the theological teaching of spiritual gifts, and this is where he really unpacks it between this and the other different uh, sections of scripture I just mentioned to you. But I wanna draw a few implications from these verses that we just read and taking into account the verses that I just referenced to you in relationship to spiritual gifts, okay? Number one, spiritual gifts are grace gifts. Spiritual gifts are grace gifts. Now, the actual word in Greek for gift is a compound word. The first part of it is where we get the Greek, uh, the English word grace, all right? So it's actually. God's expression to the church in equipping individuals and giving them uh, something of himself and gifting them so that they can do their work, okay? So this is God graciously doing it. It is not something that is earned, it's something that's received. You can't earn a spiritual gift, you receive it from God, okay? You can't earn it. But here's what's also important about that, is that that means that if God gives these gifts as expressions of His grace, that means He decides what gift gets given. God don't need your Amazon wish list. It's not like you, make a, like you go to the wish list at the church and all of a sudden say, I'd like the gift of mercy, I'd like the gift of teaching, I'd like the gift of leadership, whatever the case may be. No. God as sovereign Lord does, determines the gifts that He wants to give to men and to women, to give to the church to be able to utilize their gifts of His grace. So in saying that, please hear me, do not fall into the comparison trap. This world that we live in loves to compare people. It loves to compare people to make other people puff themselves up and feel greater than somebody else. Every single spiritual gift that is active today is necessary for the building up of the body of Christ worldwide so that God's name may be known. No gift is greater than another. Some gifts may be more public than others, but it doesn't mean that they are insignificant and not great in the kingdom of God. So we should not fall into the comparison trap, because when we fall into the comparison trap, please hear me, what we're saying is that, God, I don't like what you gave me, you gave me the wrong gift. I know about you, but I don't want to be telling God that he did something wrong. I don't think that's my place. I am creature, not creator. That's not my place to tell him, okay. So second thing, the second implication is that there's a diversity of gifts. Notice that he says in verse eight that he uses the plural. He gave gifts to men, there's a diversity of gifts. It's not singular, it's plural. So that also implies the fact that not only are, is it plural, but that all these gifts are necessary as I just mentioned. And then lastly is that the gifts are given for God's glory. God gives us these gifts to use for his glory, to make his name known. They're given for His glory. So here's a principle I could give to you. is that God graciously distributes spiritual gifts to His church. God graciously distributes spiritual gifts to His church. It's His work. They're given. They are received by us. They're not earned. God chooses them what He wants to give them to individuals, all for the sake of the building up of the body of Christ. That way we may do the work to glorify Him. Okay? Look at verse 9. In verse 9 it says, In saying, he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Descended here likely is referring to Christ's death when he was actually buried because the very next verse alludes to his resurrection. Verse 10 says this, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. This is just giving us more of a kind of a a picture of who this God is, who this Christ is that is giving these gifts to his church. Now the second thing I want you to see about ministry, we're gifted for ministry, but secondly, we are equipped for ministry. Look at verse 11, and this is where we're going to camp out for a little bit. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now depending upon your translation, it may say he gave some to be apostles, prophets, Vice versa and then going down the line and the word shepherds likely in your translation may say something like pastor as opposed to shepherd. Now so Paul moves from talking about generally that God gives gifts to men and now he starts talking about individual gifts that we would like, the, the, the way that these are referred to is they're offices of the church. It's kind of like a title or a position. Uh, not in necessarily a negative way, but in this way, when we talk about these, uh, some of you if you've grown up in church, how many of you have ever heard of this referred to as the fivefold ministry? Right? Any of y'all ever heard that terminology, fivefold ministry? So these are what we call offices of the church. So God gives not only individual gifts to the church, but God also gives gifted leaders to the church. And these gifted leaders are gifts to their local body, to the church worldwide as well. So it's really important for us to break down these terms. So what is meant by apostle? What is meant by apostle? Sent out one. one. Yes, that is true. So the word apostle has two different meanings essentially in Greek in the New Testament. Here's where we're going to nerd out a little bit and this is really important because there's some very foundational theology that actually our doctrinal statement comes into play here uh, on this passage. So the very first meaning is an apostle is one who is sent forth, like a messenger. It's used in a general sense. If we wanted to make a modern-day equivalent, we could say like a missionary would kind of function in this way. It doesn't mean that they are functioning in the office or title of apostle as much as it shows functionally kind of what they're doing. Functionally speaking, there's somebody who's sent forth who is a messenger to send forth a message. Secondly, in the more common usage of the word apostle in New Testament, is usually linked to the idea of a messenger with extraordinary status, specifically speaking of Paul and the Twelve. Okay? So a messenger with extraordinary status or office or title, if we could say it that way, and it's used to speak of Paul and the Twelve, the original Twelve. Now the word prophet... We're gonna link these two and then we're gonna bring them together because they're gonna fall in place together and you'll see why. So let's talk about what a prophet is. A prophet is one who speaks forth. Prophets spoke forth either things that were yet to be revealed, functionally in the Old Testament. You have to remember, this was as they didn't go to the Walmart and buy a Bible, they didn't have the YouVersion Bible app on their smartphone. So as God is revealing himself and he's having things written down, he used prophets to reveal revelation about him that had not yet been written down. And so prophets a lot of times would function where they were revealing things that had not yet been revealed. Or they communicated things that have already been revealed and were basically calling people back to something that God had already said. Okay? That was the function essentially of a prophet. Now why am I Spending time, and why are we breaking down these terms? Because here's a question that should immediately come into your mind, and if you've been in church for any length of time, you have likely maybe heard of this question. The question is, are there modern-day apostles and prophets? What is the role, if any, for an apostle or prophet today? Are those things that are functional today? Well, I'm going to bring up a portion of our doctrinal statement, so go ahead and put that on the screen, Chandler. So this is a portion of our doctrinal statement. If you go onto our website where it says, we believe, uh, if you go under about, then it's a section that says, we believe, basically gives you our doctrinal statement. Under the section of gifts related to the doctrinal statement, you'll see this portion of it appear. And this is where I wanted to highlight and we're going to camp out for a moment. So our doctrinal statement says this, we believe that the purposes for which the Spirit gives ministry gifts to believers as are described in Ephesians 4, 12 through 16 where we're going to go through today. And that the gift of tongues was like the gifts of, this is the more important part, the gifts of apostleship and prophecy were given for the founding of the church and therefore are not being given today. Now why, based upon this statement, you can clearly see that our position is that apostles and prophets are not functional today in the way that they were title-wise as offices of the church when Paul is writing these letters in Ephesus. Uh, To Ephesus, this letter. So, why is that important? Okay? This is really important today because, depending upon the tradition that you came from, if you are a person who grew up in church and did not, and grew up in a different type of tradition, you may hear these words actually thrown around. If you grew up in a Pentecostal type of tradition, I grew up in that tradition, people were referred to as prophets and prophetesses and apostles. That was common language that was actually used, and they believed that functionally, officially, like an office, that this ministry continued on. If you came from a Roman Catholic background, did you know that in Rome, if you actually look at the Catechism, then Rome traces Peter back to being essentially the first Pope, right? But they believe in something called apostolic succession. What that means is that the line of the apostles has actually continued since Peter all the way through the bishops. The bishops are essentially functioning like apostles today with the leader being the Bishop of Rome, we call him AKA the Pope. The Pope essentially is an apostle. So depending upon what tradition you came from, this is very important. And this is terminology that is used nowadays, okay? So I'm gonna give you four reasons why we do not believe that there are functionally apostles working today, and, uh, now that the New Testament canon basically is closed, okay? So I'm going to give you four reasons. Now I'm not saying that, by the way, by bringing that out and depending upon what tradition you grew up in, I'm not saying that those people are not necessarily believers or anything. I'm just telling you that this is a very debated issue, the interpretation of this verse, and I'm giving you what our interpretation of it is. And I recognize that's an interpretation and other people have different beliefs related to this. But it's important because we, we specify it, so we need to clarify it, okay? Y'all, y'all with me? Y'all ready to sit down and get into some text? Alright, so the very first reason we do not believe that apostles are functional today is because number one, their role was foundational, but the foundation has now been laid. Number one is that their role was foundational, but the foundation has now been laid. Ephesians 2, verses 18 to 20, we talked about this a few weeks ago. For through him, who are we talking about? Christ. Christ. Through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at verse 20. He says that this household of God, this Jew and Gentile together is built upon, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. When you lay the foundation of a home, everything is built upon that that foundation, right? So you lay that foundation, that foundation... This is where the analogy would break apart because sometimes you need foundational repair, right? But in this case, when the foundation of the church is laid, the foundation doesn't need to be repaired. The foundation is now being built upon by Christ. And so Christ is that foundation, and he utilized the prophets and the apostles and prophets. But they were they were key to what that foundation was being built. But now that Christ has come in the flesh. And now that we have the incarnation has come, now that it's being built upon that foundation that was laid and it doesn't need to be relayed, okay? So number one is their role was foundational, but the foundation has been laid. Number two is that in order for a person to be an apostle, according to the scripture, they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. How many of you witnessed, I've been at, were an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection? No hands going up, right? We all did not see the risen Christ. We will see him, but we did not. All right? And this is really important because scripturally this comes into play on a few different occasions. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. So when one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Contextually... If you are reading this passage, this is the words of the apostle Peter. And what he's talking about is they are deciding to have a person replace Judas as the 12th uh, apostle. They're deciding between uh, Matthias and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name offhand now. But they're deciding between two people to replace them. But both of those individuals were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Peter is saying that these guys have journeyed with us, they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection and that basically that. In order for this choice to be made, if you looked back down uh, later on in the chapter, they pray to God, they divide lots, Matthias is the one who becomes this apostle who jumps in. But he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1. Here is Paul when he's defending his apostleship, he says this to the Corinthians, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Paul is confirming his apostleship because of the fact that he has seen the risen Christ. He's using that as an argument to defend because the the Corinthians were questioning his authority and questioning his ability, and he's saying, have I not seen the risen Jesus, okay? So in order for a person to be an apostle, Scripture seems to indicate that they would have to be an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection, okay? Third, they were chosen literally by Christ. Pick any Gospel, but Mark chapter 3, verses 16 to 19 is what I, uh, what I put up on the screen. They were appointed by Jesus, they were chosen. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Borjanus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. They were appointed by Jesus. And then lastly, signs, wonders, and miracles accompanied the ministry of the apostles. Signs, wonders, and miracles. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, this is the apostle Paul and he says this, I purposely uh, gave you the translation in the NIV, I like the way that it translates the Greek a little better here. It says that I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs wonders, and miracles. These four reasons are reasons why not just us but a a large swath of uh, Christian faith that consider themselves to be evangelical Christian faith believe that the functional office of an apostle was a foundational ministry to the church but does not function today. Their role was foundational but the foundation has been laid, they had to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They were chosen by Jesus, and signs, wonders, and miracles accompanied the ministry of the apostles. Okay? Y'all with me? All right. Let's talk a little bit about prophets real quick. I just want to give you one verse in relationship to prophets. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Literally, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Listen to what it says here. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through him also he created the world. So according to this passage, there was a time when the prophets were needed, but now God has revealed everything about himself through his son Jesus. Remember when Jesus told Philip, he says that when Philip was asking him, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh, the actual image of God, all right? So here we see in Hebrews that he's being saying that now God has spoken through his son. You and I have the benefit that the New Testament, some of the New Testament believers didn't have. Number one, is like you may look at this and you may say, well, Pastor Pina, why is, you know, I understand, maybe I understand theologically that we don't have apostles, but does that put us at some type of deficit? No, it does not. We have something that the apostles did not. Number one is we have now the communication about the incarnation of the son. So the son comes and they were part of that when he was then, but now he's risen. And so now we have the Holy Spirit within us. You have God indwelling you. They didn't have that. Until he, ascended from heaven, until he ascended into heaven. That's what Acts chapter two is all about. They received the spirit once he ascended. So now we have that as well. You have the spirit of God that literally lives and resides within you. You have the third person of the Trinity somehow residing within you. And also we have a completed scripture. There's lots of things we could say about the canon of scripture of how the 66 books got selected and how they were being incorporated into the church, but you have now God's clearest form of revelation. Here's the warning I want to give to you, and please hear my heart by saying this. So many people want to hear from God. I do believe God speaks, He speaks in many unique ways. He's communicating through creation, He communicates through individuals, all kinds of different ways. But oftentimes when people are saying, man, I just want to hear from God, I want something fresh from God, what they're really saying is that I want to hear something else, something that's unique when God's done a whole lot of talking in 66 books. The scripture is sufficient in and of itself to give us everything we need according to its own self-revelation for life and godliness. It's sufficient. We don't need new revelation to come from prophets that supposedly are speaking forth on behalf of God. We don't need that. We have the foundation has already been laid. There's much more that could be said. I'd love to talk with you offline about it, but there's much more that could be said, but we're going to move on. Evangelist. The office of an evangelist throughout scripture, when it is mentioned, it's mentioned a couple other occasions, is not mentioned as foundational in the context of like the apostles and the prophets. So most people, myself included, believe that this gift still is functional, that this office is still functional. What is the role of an evangelist? The evangelist is a person who is passionate about preaching the gospel and equipping others to do the same. They just can't help themselves but share the gospel. They, they they'd convert a tree if it would listen to them. All right? These type of people, when you're around them, you know they're just infectious about the gospel. They just can't contain it. They want to share the gospel. Okay? So that's really the functional working of an evangelist. Now, the word shepherd and teacher is split in the translation I just read to you in the ESV, right? In the ESV, it reads, uh, for verse 11, now i got to go back, it says that he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... There's lots of debates about how the structure of this works in the Greek. And I believe, personally, and this is the common view, the more common view is that this is actually a term that's supposed to be together, that it doesn't represent two terms as pastor and teacher, but it should be pastor hyphen teacher. That basically it's two ideas together, All right, So pastor, teacher, in the same kind of breath. Minimally, even if it was two different offices, they are very closely and intimately connected. We'd say it this way, a person who is a pastor or a shepherd is a teacher, but a teacher wouldn't necessarily have to be a pastor, okay? But what is the role of the shepherd, the teacher? The role is to be the person within the context of a local congregation, like here in Ephesus. Remember, he's talking to a local church. He's talking to believers in a church. In that church, it's the role of a shepherd to teach God's word, to lead the ministry of what's going on in the local church, to be the caretaker, essentially, to be the gatekeeper of what goes on within that local ministry. Here at Firewheel Bible Fellowship, we have a few people who function in the pastoral role, and they are a gift and treasure to the church. And I'm not saying that in relationship to me. Okay. I'm saying that genuinely. We have people who are here who function in that role, such as my buddy Chris Nelson. I love you, man. You are, you are a gift of God to us here in your ministry. Pastor Barb and all that she does with all the children, she is an absolute gift and treasure. You need to make sure to tell these folks that they are a gift and treasure and a blessing to serve this local congregation. Not only that, but there are other leadership offices within the context of local church elders and overseers that they are given honor and to whom honor is due. And I cannot thank enough working with these guys side by side over the last couple months, Ashby, Fred, Kevin and Kelly who have de- demonstrated tremendous character. In leadership over a very, church, a very difficult time that our church has gone through over the last number of months. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you. The incredible staff who serve here, Christy Knox, Aaron Bender, Sean Smith, Keegan McCarthy, all these guys who give so much to be able to see the work that goes on here, so that way this church can be equipped for the work of ministry, so that way you can have a place where you can learn the word of God, where you can be equipped, where you can be released into your giftedness so you can be utilized for the kingdom. These are gifted leaders. These are people who are precious, not only precious to me, but should be precious to all of us. The work of the ministry, ladies and gentlemen, is not to be left to the professionals. The goal of the local church and the role of evangelists and shepherds and teachers and staff and all that is to equip in order to release. Equip to release. Equip to release. Equip to release. And that's when a church is functioning healthy, when its people are being equipped Released in their gifting so that way they can be, the building up of the body of Christ happens because of that. They are equipped to be released. Because guess what? Ministry is a team sport. Ministry is a team sport. We have one name on the back of the jersey. It's not an individual name. The name and the side of the helmet that we play for, hearkening to the illustration a couple weeks ago, we play for one team. That's Team Jesus. That's it. We play for one team. So ministry is a team sport. Every believer is uniquely gifted by God, directed and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit internally to them. But then the Holy Spirit working internally within the context of the local church, gifting specific roles and leaders, elders and pastors and teachers to be able to equip and release those saints so that way they can do the work of the ministry. God knows what He's doing with His church. And God equips His church for His work because it's His church. Here's the last thing, look at verse 13. We are to mature into ministry, we are to mature into ministry. Verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse fourteen so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul brings us back to this idea of... He's been talking about unity in chapter 3, and now he gives this illustration of the body and its many different parts, and, and it kind of brings together all this stuff together. Paul has in mind that all believers should be faithful to the calling, that they have been and not only faithful to the calling, but that they should render service with a view to the upbuilding of the body of Christ so that true spiritual unity and growth can take place. Paul has a holistic view of ministry. He believes that every person should be involved in the context of the local church, because every person is needed for the spiritual health and vitality of the local church. And so here Paul is encouraging them that they would grow up together into Christ, that this is a maturity that takes place. We see this in the physical, it also corresponds to the spiritual, right? When you are born, you don't just stay an infant. You physically grow, and hopefully as you physically grow, you grow a little wisdom as well alright so as you are maturing in the physical process the same can be said on the spiritual process we are growing up into Christ and it doesn't happen based upon your physical age we are discipling one another we are helping each other to come up to be built up into Christ that that way we may grow and that way we may be healthy individually and corporately When spiritual gifted people are unified, serving one another, functioning in their spiritual giftedness, the result is that people's faith is deepened. And from that, relationally, we can then be able to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is a sign of spiritual maturity. Some people like to shoot off at the hip real quick, but there's something about a balance of speaking the truth in love, and that only happens in the context of relationships. So when we are relationally connected with one another as brothers and sisters, we should have the ability to be able to speak the truth and love to one another. To be able to, for the goal not being to bring somebody down and say, ha, 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 you did wrong, I'm so right. But no, that the goal would be that we would build up the body of Christ. You are such a vital and important part of what Jesus is doing at Firewall Bible Fellowship every single person we are interconnected and interdependent let me say that again we are interconnected and interdependent i love the picture of the church as the body it's a major metaphor for paul throughout the new testament the body of christ throughout the new testament over and over and over and over again because this imagery shows the interconnected and interdependent, inter, interdependent nature of the church Our connection with God is essential, but so is our connection with others. We cannot be functional as the church and as believers apart from one another. Do you know that you were created as a relational being? You need other people. You need other believers in your life. You know the only thing that God said wasn't good in the garden? For man to be alone. That's the only thing he said wasn't good from the original creation. It's not good that man should be alone. And he's not even, yes, he created a woman, but I think it goes to a deeper level. He's not just talking about, okay, it's not good for man to be alone, that man doesn't have a woman. No, relationally, man did not have somebody who was like him of the same nature, the same composition as him, to be able to communicate to. Because as a human, I can only communicate so much with a fluffy dog as much as I may love them. I know some of y'all love y'all animals. You talk to them. They communicate to you. You guys have great joy with one another. You guys are communicating. I believe it. Y'all are communicating. But an animal's not a human. And God said, That's not good. That man was alone. I should make one like him. It means like in nature. Let me finish with this illustration. So, when our physical bodies are not healthy, we feel it, right? When you know something's off, you ever sometimes just wake up and say something's just off? Sometimes as you get older, just things are off all the time, it seems like. <laughs> but sometimes things just feel off, right? You're just like, I don't know what, how to explain it, that pain wasn't there yesterday, or you know, I'm just not feeling well, whatever the case may be. So there may come a point where if you're stubborn like me, you wait to the absolute last minute to then finally go to the doctor. But you finally go to the doctor, right? So you go to the doctor and you explain to the doctor, the doctor starts asking you questions about your symptoms. So what are your symptoms? You know, I got this, I got this, I got this going on. Something is off and I need to get it inspected. So the doctor then runs some tests and they found out something is very wrong with you. Okay? Now, the question is, if the doctor says, hey, we ran these litany of tests and we found out that there's a problem and just said, would you like to know the answer? How many of you would actually like to know the answer, right? So if there was something off, would you like your doctor just to sit there and smile and say, I don't want to tell you the answer because I don't want to offend you. Or I don't want to tell you the answer because I, don't, I want you to come back and you might not like it if I tell you something really bad. Or you know, I'm just having a good day and this, is, this news is really going to bring me down, so I just don't want to tell you the answer, right? I say that tongue-in-cheek, but here's the reality. You would want them to tell you, you would want them to speak the truth. You go to the doctor because you want to get well. So they recommend a course of treatment. They say, okay, you do this, you take these pills, you do that. You still have a decision to make. Are you going to follow the course of treatment to where you've been led by the person who's been equipped to tell you what you need to do so that way you can start feeling well. The question is, are you going to follow through? So you go home, you decide you don't want to follow through. I ain't taking those pills. I ain't doing this, I ain't going to disappointment, I ain't doing this, I ain't doing that, and then all of a sudden you start to not feel well again. The same could be said of the church. If the church genuinely is a body and we are interconnected in that way, we are members of one body. Here we are one local body called Firewell Bible Fellowship. We're one local body. Now believers, we're working together and the spiritual health of all these believers are interconnected to all of us. When one part of the body's not healthy, then the body's not healthy. Believers can speak the truth in love when we are connected with one another. Believers can use their spiritual gifts for the benefits of one another when they're connected to one another, when there is this, this, this. Understanding that we are so interconnected and interdependent to one another that this is the way that God created it. If we genuinely see ourselves as a body functioning that way, to to know that I'm here for you, you're here for me. Your spiritual well-being is also my spiritual well-being. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens, to do these kind of things. All of these things happen in context of relationship and community. They can't happen without it. I believe genuinely with my whole heart that healthy things grow. I believe God wants to grow His church. I believe every single day that God is bringing more people into the kingdom. I believe that God wants to continue to do that and He's continuing in the work of uh, sending workers into His harvest field. I believe that when a church is functioning in in a healthy way. When there is spiritual health and oversight that is healthy that's going on in a local church, God wants to grow that church. Now, please don't, miss, don't listen to what I say. When I say grow, you immediately think butts and seats. Okay? Because you can have a whole auditorium full of people and have a spiritually unhealthy church. I'd much rather see a healthy church. A healthy church, I believe, is when... People are spiritually healthy because they are interconnected in community with one another. They are speaking the truth in love. They are walking and doing life with individuals with one another. They are learning. They are working and functioning in their giftedness. And the body of Christ is being built up. And a healthy church is a church that God will grow. And I believe that that growth can show itself in many different ways. I do believe that he grows and he adds people to his church. This was Acts chapter 2. As they were doing the work of ministry, God was adding to their number day by day. I do believe as you are faithful and God will bring more people, but I also believe that God is building health in His people. And as He does, we see beautiful things that happen when the church is functioning in a healthy way. Healthy things grow. Let's summarize this for you. All right, we got to run. So here's our one true statement. So we talked about how Christ equips His church for His work. So Christ equips His church for His work. And we talked about three things in relationship to ministry or service today. Number one is that we are gifted for ministry. Every believer is gifted for ministry. We are given the Holy Spirit and we are given these spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Number two is we are equipped for ministry. We are equipped by these leaders that God brings into our lives, functional offices in, within the church, and we are building up each other and releasing each other. We are building up, equipping to release. Number three is that we, are matu- that we have to mature in ministry, growing up into Christ. Just like we would mature physically, we need to mature spiritually, so that way we can be healthy and walking out this thing we call the Christian life. So how can we put this into practice? Here's my first challenge to you, is number one, is to get involved. Here's what I mean. Chapter four is all about the church and the necessity of believers being in relationship with one another. So I want to challenge you graciously in a couple different ways. Number one, make church a priority. Church should be a non-negotiable thing on your schedule. I'm not saying that to guilt trip you, I'm saying that because that's how much I believe what we're doing is sacred. That's how much I believe that what we're doing is essential to your spiritual health and well-being. That's how much, and I'm saying that also because I believe that your gift and your ability, when you are released and using that, that the body is going to benefit from that that they can't receive it from somebody else. It should not be something that's negotiable for us. Make it a priority. You can't live in community when you're not connected to community. And then secondly is I would say to serve. If you call Firewheel home and you are not serving in some ways, I would encourage you to find a place to serve. Service should never be disconnected from our spiritual growth. Service is an essential part of your spiritual discipleship. I genuinely believe that you will not grow as a believer if you're not serving. I think we give out and then God pours more in. And I believe our giving out and our functioning in our spiritual gift is where we're then maturing in that and we're maturing into Christ and then we are able then to receive from others as well. So service is an essential part of spiritual growth and it benefits the overall health of the church. So next time somebody asks or you're thinking about, you know, oh, I don't know, maybe, you know, I don't know if I want to get involved in this or whatever, think about it, pray about it. If there's an area of service where you can jump in and to use your gifts to benefit the overall health of the body. And then lastly, I would say this, is that we need to pray and thank your leaders. I think one of the things that I gleaned from this passage is not only did Paul say that these were, that these gifted, that these offices, evangelist, shepherd and teacher that are still functional today at least and even elders in 1 Timothy 3 and other different places, that They are roles in in, in functional positions where we need to give honor. We have a great staff and great leaders here at firewall. I would encourage you to make it a point to thank them. Make it a point to pray for them. Make it a point to send a word of encouragement. Make it a point to send a text message. I can tell you there there are so many times in my life that I've been involved now being involved in ministry where a text or a card or something came right at the right time. BE A VOICE OF ENCOURAGEMENT TO YOUR LEADERS. PRAY FOR THEM BECAUSE THEY NEED YOUR PRAYERS. SO YOU KNOW WHAT WE'RE GOING TO DO? WE'RE GOING TO TAKE AN OPPORTUNITY TO DO THAT RIGHT NOW. SO I WANT, AND NOBODY KNEW I WAS GOING TO DO THIS. Ha, THAT'S ONE OF THE THINGS YOU GET TO DO WHEN YOU'RE ON THE STAGE. SO I'M GOING TO ASK THE ELDERS AND I'M GOING TO ASK OUR STAFF MEMBERS TO BE ABLE TO COME FORWARD, PLEASE. AND CHURCH, I'M GOING TO ASK YOU TO STAND. SO COME ON. I'm not just going to tell you that to pray for people and then us not actually practice it. I'm not going to ask you to be part of a prayer team and then not actually make it a priority if we're saying we're going to make prayer a priority, okay? So I want to ask all these wonderful people, our staff and our elders, to come forward. In church, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna pray, I wanna pray for them, but I want you to do something for me. I want some of y'all to be so bold to come up here and to surround yourself around these men and women. I want you to show your expression of love to them for their service and show them and help pray along, pray alongside of me with them, okay? Come on, y'all, these are your people. They're serving you, okay? They love you. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you all. I don't care, let's pack this place. Everybody can come up. Keep coming. Keep coming. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. This is what it means to do life together. We do ministry together. And people give their lives to do the work of ministry. And I'm so thankful to serve alongside this great team. So those of you who are in the crowd, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Will you extend your hand toward us? So just extend your hand out that you're joining with us in prayer. And I'm just going to pray for these precious, precious people who are so dear. So Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful staff, elders, leaders that you have gifted us here with at Firewheel Bible Fellowship. They give so selflessly, Lord. And So many times we uh, don't realize the things that they are wrestling through, the situations that are happening in their lives, the things that they're dealing with behind the scenes and just the many difficulties that they are facing. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength. I pray that you would give them grace. I pray that words of encouragement, that text, that phone call, that email will come in right when it's needed. I pray that you will uh, sustain them and keep them because Lord, a call to ministry is just that, it's a call. It's not something that we can manufacture, it's something that you draw us to. And as you draw us to it, Lord, I believe that you keep us and you sustain us by your grace and that you, can, that you are the one who is working. I pray that you would work in them to work through them. I pray that whatever the needs are that they have, those that are, have been lifted up to you and those that they don't even know to lift up, I pray that you would meet them in their place of need. I pray when tears are cried, I pray when uh, times are tough, I pray that